Welcome to Conversations with Commerce Trust Company. Today we have Chief Economist Scott Colbert to elaborate on our 2021 Outlook Report. Scott, thank you for joining us again. Sure, Chris. Happy to do it. Scott, let's start off with a general overview of the economy. It appears we experienced the V-shaped recovery hoped for as the nation began its battle against the coronavirus in the spring. Can we sustain this comeback of the economy or, or should we expect some uneven uh, improvement as we go along? Well, there's no doubt um, we've had a V-shaped recovery so far. Uh, we've had a V-shape from an exceptionally low bottom. The economy fell through the trough 10% in terms of nominal dollars flowing past on a daily basis. That's about three and a half times to four times deeper than the average recession. So it was an awfully um, deep recession. It was an awfully quick recession. We began to recover probably literally two months to the bottom, February, March, maybe April, and then you know May and June were better. So it's gonna be an awfully quick recovery. Today though, um, because it was so deep and even despite the V-shaped recovery that we've had, driven primarily by you know two things, uh, all the stimulus that we put in the pipeline, plus frankly, our, our ability, our ingenuity to, to essentially work the problem. Um, we're back to about 97% of economic activity uh, that we had uh, going into the crisis. Uh, so there's still another 3% just to get us back to even. So that's the first thing, even though it's a V-shaped recovery, we're still not, not back to even. And then I think we all know that given the um, outbreak or the recent outbreak and the, I'll call it the third and perhaps the fourth wave of the coronavirus, that we're clearly going to go through some um, a rather thin pipeline uh, before we get to the other side of the pipe or the tunnel or whatever you'd like to call it, where there is light at the end of the tunnel and that's the vaccine. But you know, we still have several months of very rocky road to cover to get to the um, to get to the vaccine uh, in the March, April, May you know, time frame. So so the V will begin to flatten out considerably and we'll get a lot, lot bouncier as we move forward from here. As you said in the outlook report, the uh, the cavalry arrived in the form of some effective vaccines just around the corner. The forward-looking financial markets are already looking past the virus. When does the economy come out of the pandemic at full speed? Yeah, they sure are. If you uh, just looked at the stock market, you'd say nothing ever went wrong and everything's just hunky-dory. Um, we think that's probably a little overly simple, uh, simplistic. Um, you know, the, the, the financial markets have been spurred along mightily by the ultra, ultra low interest rate policy that we have, uh, plus all of the stimulus that, you know, has been thrown at the country, helping out the 80% of the economy that's doing very, very well relative to perhaps the um, 20% that isn't. Uh, but, you know, if I had to put it in kind of contextual format, um, right now there's about, you know, they're letting in about a fifth of the people in the select pro football stadiums right now, even with the coronavirus. I think by next fall, you'll basically have half attendance and then it will take some time towards next year. By next year, I mean the year after this coming year, 2022, to have things totally back to normal. Um, uh, in terms of airline capacity, we might be flying at rather than the 20 or 25 percent capacity that we're currently flying at today. It might be 75 percent by the end of the year, and then full capacity in 2022. So it's still going to take some time to fully recover um, uh, in terms of you know what 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 felt like normal before to get back to normal again. Now you mentioned some stimulus, and I, and I guess the stimulus proposed by Congress is not really materialized uh, at least in the early part of December just yet. Does the economy really need another uh, financial booster shot of monetary and fiscal stimulus? 
Well, if there's any good news in not having the stimulus, it's that the original stimulus packages were so broad-based and deep. Um, of course, global interest rates have never been lower, and frankly, 10-year interest rates in developed currencies have never been lower. We still have, you know, 10-year treasury rates below 1%, and even countries like Portugal are approaching, you know, near 0%, you know, borrowing rates uh, overseas in Europe. And of course, Japan's had zero interest rates, you know, for some time. So, um, you know, the, 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 the monetary stimulus working with a lag will still be there, um, you know, for, for years to come, really, uh, all the, the monetary stimulus we put in. <clears throat> the fiscal stimulus, of course, is what's wearing out. But this was real money handed off to real businesses and real people that was um, primarily saved at first and then slowly spent over the second half of the year, which has you know, helped us accelerate into this V-shaped recovery. That was essentially $3.3 trillion. It's hard to, it's hard to understand what $3.3 trillion is, but to put it in terms of percent of the economy, that's about 15% of the economy or almost two months worth of GDP. So essentially, if the economy fell by 10%, this was trying to bring back, this was throwing 15% at this falling you know, economy just to keep it from, from falling as low as it was. So um, you know, uh, that's still working with some lag. Do we need one last little bit of stimulus? I think we do need one last targeted stimulus. Um, almost all the governmental programs put in place expire at the end of the year. Uh, some have been extended just a little bit, but the key ones, particularly the ones that have to do with unemployment um, insurance, and payments to those unemployed um, all start to fade uh, basically after the uh, end of the year. And so I do think it's appropriate that we have a targeted stimulus package. At that, Joe Biden's right about this, the K-shaped recovery. 80% of the country is doing just fine and dandy, um, and in fact is doing maybe even better than they were prior to the pandemic. 20% of the country though, um, those that are attached to the industries that have been the hardest hit, which are what? Um, hotels and tourism. Uh, entertainment entirely, uh, bars and restaurants, and retail, ex-food and beverage. Um, those sectors, which, which connotate 20% of the economy and about 20% of employment, that's where the you know, targeted uh, stimulus needs to go to let those folks you know, crawl across that bridge while the rest of us are at least walking, if not running across the bridge, um, to let these last 20% that have been so wounded uh, crawl across the bridge to get to the other side and the vaccine that, that opens up their venues so they can you know, become reemployed again and attached uh, to society, if you will. So yeah, I think we should have um, a targeted package. You have to remember that the stimulus is not free. Um, there are these things called deficits and the deficits ultimately matter. Uh, basically, we're pulling growth forward. It will cause future growth to slow because we're pulling growth into the current situation that wouldn't have been there. I think it's the appropriate medicine for us to take, but it doesn't come you know, free. It comes at the expense of added debt, less flexibility in the future, probably slower growth in the future, and perhaps even higher inflation. Scott, maybe that brings us to the big question um, and perhaps a little drama here. Wall Street's at one point seemed to anticipate a gridlock Congress for the next four years, but there's still much uncertainty in the eventual congressional makeup depending on the January 5th Georgia runoff. What should investors be thinking? Yeah, this is a bigger deal. And I think people are largely looking blithely past it, almost assuming that it has to be one out of those two Republicans um, elected. Uh, the polling in the races, and of course, 
who knows what polling's worth anymore. I think you know it's been largely discredited over the last two elections. And at the state level, it even gets tougher. But the latest polling is that these are dead heats between both candidates. Literally 48.5% of people voting for both candidates and the other 3%, the undecided 3%, you know, could swing either way. Um, these elections, like almost every election, uh, the reason the polling's off is because they're not exactly sure who turns off to vote. And so the turnout will really determine who wins it. A coin toss would tell you that there's a 75% chance that one of these two is a Republican, right? It's one out of two and one out of two. The market's betting odds, if you want to look at the, um, you can bet on just about anything, you know, the betting odds are about 80%. So it's a one in five shot that the, that the Democrats would, would take both seats. But I do think there will be some marked reaction in the financial markets if the Democrats take over 50 seats, which of course gives them control because the um, vice president, you know, has the swing vote on a 50-50 deadlock. What are the, um, what are the, what is the likely reaction? Well, it's down. And the reason that it's down is because if Congress has one place to look for additional tax revenues, it's at the corporate tax level. Um, corporate taxes have not grown in proportion to personal taxes and real estate taxes and all the other taxes, social security taxes, Medicare taxes, think of any tax you're paying. And essentially almost all those taxes that you're paying as a citizen have essentially doubled since 2000. Corporate taxes though have only grown by about 30%. So it is true that corporations on a relative basis have benefited at the margin and their tax burden has grown much less than the average households or the average individuals. And so I think that the, um, the Democrats would look to raise the corporate tax rate. When the uh, current administration, the Trump administration lowered the corporate tax rate, it ginned up an extra 8% in earnings to the, uh, the S&P 500. If we take that 8% of earnings away, I think it takes away 8% of the stock market capitalization again. So I think you know, the equity markets get hit. It also probably will um, you know, increase, uh, there'll be some increase or some potential increase in marginal tax rates there probably could be an increase in the capital gains tax rate, which might make, you know, accelerate some selling of securities, putting downward uh, pressure uh, on the market. And it probably also, uh, you know, spikes the odds for some bigger stimulus package. So, you know, if you're a beneficiary of that stimulus package, you like that. Uh, but on the other hand, we already have um, large and rapidly growing, the largest deficits, we have the largest deficit to GDP, federal government deficit to GDP we've ever had. And cumulative debt relative to GDP, about 1.2 times GDP, is the largest and highest it's ever been since World War II. So, you know, it's, it's, we've already done a lot of stimulus. We've already provided a lot of free money. We can't continually open this spigot. And I think that the Democrats will be more than likely to do that. And then finally, um, if all of that was to transpire, you'd potentially have higher inflation of course, higher inflation going forward, given the draconian deficits that we have, may, will start to crowd out the rest of the budget and crowd out the rest of the, um, you know, uh, our financial flexibility. So polling for at least one Republican, because I think it would be better for the financial markets and better for the country in the long run to have a split Congress. It's interesting. If you look back since 1950, the financial markets do the best, best when Congress is split. And there's both a Republican, you know, Senator House, and a Democratic Senate or House. Um, unified governments, they do pretty well in two, which is what we would have, uh, but you know they um, uh, tend to do the best when there's a divided Congress, for whatever reason. It's a small number of statistical samples. There's only been 19 you know, of these 
opportunities to even look at since 1950. But for whatever reason, um, you know, the divided Congress provide, has provided higher returns uh, on average than, than any other um, political, uh, you know, uh, situation we've confronted. All right, Scott, let's let's take your macro economy hat off and, and go to fixed income for just a minute. Um, investors looking for return are having a tough time in this sector with very low bond yields uh, seemingly locked in place. Bonds were a good place to be during 2020. Do they still have a place in a portfolio? Well, I guess that depends upon your, 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 your time frame. I will tell you, if you're a really, really, really long-term investor, given that interest rates are the lowest they've ever been, literally in the history of mankind, and I, I, I say that without exception, going back all the way to the Medici's and the borrowing back in Italy, nobody lent money to governments for 1% or 0% or negative rates for 10 years ever. And this is the situation that we find ourselves in today. So it's very difficult for a bond investor to you know, basically build a portfolio that gives them anything near a 2% yield, either pre-tax or even after tax. So in essence, you know, a 10-year bond ladder or even a 20-year bond ladder probably at best provides you a real yield of zero. In other words, just something that probably likely keeps up with inflation in the future. Now, it does offer you an insurance policy for a disaster, as we saw when the um, stock market was tanking and fell 34% from February to uh, basically uh, from late February to March 23rd or so, 39 days is where it took the stock market to fall 34%. Treasury bonds rallied like a bandit. And so high quality, low yielding bonds provide that insurance policy. They will still provide that insurance policy going forward. But if you have the wherewithal to work through the recessions, and there's a recession on average about once every seven and a half or eight years, um, and the stock market of course declines about 34% when it does, but if you have the ability to look down past that, you know we think the equity markets are clearly less expensive than the bond market is rich. And we are encouraging people to reduce the amount that they would normally have in fixed income and overweight the amount that they would have in risk assets. And then specifically on the fixed income side, to try and provide any type of reasonable return in the long run, we've also allocated, if you're a municipal bond buyer, about 5% into high yield municipals. And if you're a, a corporate or um, a pension fund or people buying taxable corporate type bonds, we're allocating 10% of the high yield markets, which have coupons closer to say three and 4% in the um, municipal space and five plus percent still uh, in the fixed income space. You can do this when you're coming out of recovery. Typically those sectors do pretty well. Those sectors also though behave more like stocks in a downturn. So we tactically allocate to those sectors. Those are not long-term um, strategic allocations, but those are tactical allocations to take advantage uh, of the recovery right now uh, for people who are following our tactical asset allocation models. Thanks for that analysis, uh, Scott. Um, let's wrap up with this. Uh, in your role, you probably see as many of our clients as anyone uh, within Commerce Trust Company. Um, what are clients telling you uh, as we, we head into the end of the year and going to the beginning of 2021? Yeah, we, we, we do. We certainly touch on a, a vast number of clients a vast number of businesses. Um, I will say in general, and this is even more than 80% of our clients, are all surprised at how well they're doing. Um, they all thought that this was going to be a disaster, uh, that it was going to take a long time to recover, that their businesses were going to be grossly impacted and damaged you know, for some time. 
And in general, it hasn't worked out that way. Now, that is probably also because the banking system does not afford a lot of credit to the most cyclical parts of the economy that were hurt the most. If you think about airlines, airlines in general, <laughs> I hate to say it, but they've gone bankrupt many, many times before, but yet we still have you know, all the airlines. Um, you know, restaurants and bars and hotels are very cyclically sensitive, and, and you know, these are these are lower credited uh, opportunities, and the banking system by and large doesn't bank them. So, you know, our clients in general, most banking clients in general, are, are pretty well off and are surprised about how well they're doing. What they are cautious about, though, of course, is that they see the coronavirus continue to increase. They know that the vaccine's around the corner, they're almost holding their breath, and they don't know how much the stimulus has uh, created a, um, you know, a facade of, of a good economy when perhaps one doesn't ex quite exist, you know, as, as reasonably well as we think it is because of all the um, stimulus and low interest rates that have been put in the pipeline. Uh, but they also remember back to the last Great Recession and coming out of it, how cautious they were. And almost to a person, they typically say, you know, Commerce Trust, Scott Colbert, Chris Shields, if you just told me we're going to have a 10-year economic recovery and told me to look down the field, I would have invested more in plant, capital, equipment, and got my business together for what amounted to basically a fairly long recovery. The average economic recovery in this country is seven and a half years, almost 89 months since 1960. So seven and a half plus years. We're only a half a year into this economic recovery. Um, you know, we would encourage people to try and get their businesses right-sized for what's probably likely to be a fairly steady state, long-term economic recovery, like it typically is, a post any recession. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we understand why, why customers are still cautious. They're surprised they're doing as well as they are, but they're cautious and, you know, they're still, they're still not exactly um, sticking their necks out because they'd like to see the vaccine work and they'd like to see the country, you know, basically, we'd like to see everybody get back to normal. Thanks, Scott. That was Scott Colbert, Chief Economist for Commerce Trust Company. Thank you for those comments. And you can also see those in written form on our Outlook Report newsletter on the website or in the electronic version that was emailed to all clients. Thank you so much. Commerce Trust Company is a division of Commerce Bank. Important material disclosures regarding the content of this call follow. Generally, non-depository investments offered in connection with Commerce Bank and its affiliates are not guaranteed, are not FDIC insured, and may lose value. Information provided is effective as of today, December the 11th, 2020, and is presented for the purpose of general education, information, or illustration only, it is not to be considered as the opinion of Commerce Trust Company or Commerce Bank regarding any individual investment, investment account, or market behavior. Neither Commerce nor any of its affiliates, officers, employees, or agents have made any recommendation or given any advice as to the terms, beneficial interest, or profitability of any investment or market activity which may be referenced here, and this information may not be relied upon as such. Accordingly, you understand that you are always fully responsible for any investment transaction you choose to enter into and that you shall not have relied only on any of the proceedings or following information from commerce as a basis for any investment decision. In considering whether to trade or invest, you should inform yourself and be aware of the risks. The risk of loss from investing in securities and other investments can be substantial. You should consider whether investments entered into directly by you or on a discretionary managed basis through Commerce Trust Company or elsewhere are appropriate for you in light of your investment objectives, financial circumstances, tax status, your tolerance to risk, investment time horizon, and your investment experience. 
Past performance is no guarantee of future results and the opinions and other information in the commentary provided as of this date are subject to change. Diversification does not guarantee a profit or protect against all risk. Markets, economic forecasts, and aspects of specific investments can change from time to time based on a variety of individual interrelated or complex factors. This disclosure statement cannot present all the risks and other significant aspects of investments, economies, or markets in which you may elect to transact from time to time. You should therefore carefully study investment arrangements in advance of making decisions about investing. Providing this information, which may be of value to you or others, does not detract from an investor's responsibility to take all such steps and make all such inquiries as may be necessary to ensure full understanding and familiarity with any potential future investment. If you are in doubt about the risks involved in trading or investment arrangements, or have not understood any aspect of this risk disclosure statement, you should seek independent professional advice. Please also note that Commerce does not offer tax, legal, or specific estate planning advice and while we may provide information or express general opinions from time to time, such information or opinions are not offered as professional.